Angela Henderson, thank you for ministering to us this morning through song. We are so grateful. And yes, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Sometimes you have to speak victory to the test. Remember the giants, they do fall. In this moment of a historic transfer of power, I have been encouraged by so much. I've been encouraged by you. I'm encouraged by each one of you who has spoken to the fire burning inside of you to get out there and do something, to take action like never before because your soul demands it. I felt so encouraged this past Thursday night when I picked up my daughter from preschool and brought her over here to our social hall and we all shared food and made signs for the women's marches in Minnesota and DC and it felt so natural and right just to be together. And yesterday as we filled up bus after bus here at church, four buses filled with 200 people singing all the way to the Capitol. And you know, it took us forever to get there because there were just so dang many of us trying to get there. And it turns out that there were over 100,000 of us trying to get there. And we got there, and we stood. <laughs> for a long time, for over an hour, we stood, and we were not sure exactly what direction we were headed, or when we were going to start moving, or what exactly we were a part of, because all I could see was a big crowd in a parking lot to my right, in a freeway to my left, and then the little circle of people around me, and we all just stood. And that moment moved me because it felt like this small illustration of what it can feel like to be a part of a community making justice. That you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself, and you can't see it exactly, and you don't quite know where you're headed, but what you can see are the people right around you, your little community. And so you do the right thing and you trust that everyone else is showing up and doing the right thing. And then we finally got started moving yesterday and we got to the top of this hill and we turned and suddenly it was all laid out before us and you could see the Capitol building and so many people. The power of this, it was powerful, it was deeply energizing. And this is so often what the work of justice is like. And we know, we trust that we are connected to something bigger. But all you can really see are just the people right around you. And sometimes it really feels like it's going nowhere for a long time. <laughs> and there are just a lot of meetings and discussions, and there is a lot of crankiness. <laughs> but you do get moving. 
And there's that moment when you just catch a glimpse of what is really happening. And it's so powerful. And you need to take a snapshot of that moment and tuck it away to encourage yourself later in those days that are gloomy, those other days that are filled with waiting and disappointment and fear and the frustration of collaborating with other human beings. <laughs> we can't let just that part be the story, right? That's just a little section of it. And so yesterday, for me and for so many of us, wherever we were physically or whatever images we were encountering, I hope that can be a nugget of nourishment for this long road ahead of us. And it all happened because people showed up. And what Kevin shared in his call to worship this morning is so powerful because it reminds us that we must pull close together because when we gather, we are powerful beyond measure. And this encouragement feeling is not the only thing I've been feeling over the past couple of months. I think that's true for a lot of us, that the feelings have been all over the map with the anticipation and the actual witnessing of this historic transfer of political power, and it's been hard for many of us. We feel that despair that just crumples you up and it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. Or maybe you felt numb to it all, like you're just kind of floating through the daily routine. Maybe fear for your basic safety and the safety of all those you love. Maybe you've had kind of a neutral feeling, like, well, we haven't really seen what's gonna happen yet. And then the sheer overwhelm, overwhelm from social media in trying to manage the way that it offers both connection and isolation. It offers truth and fiction, and it just whips us up in this way that is really unhelpful and really helpful. <laughs> the overwhelm of a vision of what could be coming down the pike overwhelm of the avalanche of activity in our capital, the confirmation hearings, the leaks, the intelligence reports, the tweets, the inaugural moment. Overwhelm from the fact that you are dealing with other hard things in your life right now, with grief, with divorce, with family members you're worried sick about, with the depression that weighs so heavy with staying sober, paying the bills, or simply just putting one foot in front of the other, pulled in so many directions. And so we have to encourage ourselves and each other. We have to stay close to each other, supporting and protecting each other because it is disturbing to have a president of the United States who has dealt in such abject bigotry and misogyny, who has bragged about sexual assault, who has courted white supremacists, who has threatened to jail his opponents and tear apart families through deportation, who has openly denigrated so many of the fundamental practices and institutions of our democracy, 
And who has lied so frequently, so shamelessly about so much? And I'm just going to speak for myself here for a moment. Me being a white, hetero, college-educated, middle-class, liberal, cisgender woman. And by cisgender, I mean that my gender identity happens to be aligned with the sex on my birth certificate. That my particular experience of fear and outrage in this election has everything to do with the body and the particular life that I was born into and that I lead. And I think this was true for a lot of the people at the march yesterday. And that's, that particular location of mine is why I'm feeling uniquely lost and disoriented, uniquely affected by this election. And the honest truth is that this election has been my first experience feeling like my safety and my family's safety could really be under threat. It has shaken me in a fundamental way to feel that the civility and peace of my country is actually in serious jeopardy. So is my sense of personal safety. So are my child's schools. So is my family's health care. So are my reproductive rights. It is personal. This post-election world, these last two months, have felt like I'm living in a parallel universe. And I want to own the depth of privilege in this experience. It is astounding. And it's not something we talk about. It's kind of repulsive. But it is real. And when we come together in religious community, we promise to be real with each other. And so, just to state what is plain as day, we, the greater American we, are not all sharing an identical experience of the beginning of this new administration. And for so many people in our country, so many people of color, queer folks, immigrants, so many of us in the sanctuary, for so many people, it is the oldest story in the world that the powers that be would threaten your safety. That the safety and welfare of your people would be imperiled. And it is so not new and not surprising that those in power not only wouldn't have your interests at heart, but they know you're going to suffer. And so friends, if this is you, if all these changes feel like old, familiar patterns that are newly discouraging and opening familiar wounds and fears, let me just say this. You are loved. You are family here. You are safe here. We are with you today and in all the days to come, and we are ready to fight for you. And I know I may be setting up a binary here that may not feel right. 
because it's too oversimplified that either your feeling of your safety being imperiled is totally new, or that this experience is thoroughly familiar, because I know it's not that simple. It is very nuanced for a lot of us. But if there is some part of you that is feeling lost in a new way, whether that's your primary experience right now or just some aspect of your experience, I want to invite you to tune into that feeling of being lost because it is deeply connected to this historical moment and to our faith response to it. Let's talk a moment about what to do when you're lost. The author Margaret Wheatley writes that when people are lost in the wilderness, they move through predictable stages. Their first reaction is to deny that they are lost. <laughs> she writes that when someone is lost in the wilderness, at first they convince themselves that everything is okay. They still know where they're going, the maps are still correct, but gradually, confronted with a growing number of strange and unfamiliar sights, anxiety seeps in. People who are lost, they speed up their activities. They're fueled by a sense of urgency, needing to verify as quickly as possible that they are not lost. People become angry and impatient, pushing aside any information that does not confirm their map. They're desperate to find any scrap of information that proves that they know where they are. And they reject all other information, even that which would help them get unlost. They reject all other information, even that which would help them get unlost. And so for those of you here this morning who are feeling surprised by a fresh kind of uncertainty, a new fear in the past couple months, this moment is our spiritual teacher. And our first step is to admit that we are lost. We have to recognize that our old maps are not only not going to serve us, but more importantly, they are not going to serve an effective resistance or a movement for collective liberation. Let me take a moment and tell you a little bit about the map that I'm throwing away. It's pretty simple, nothing fancy. So here's my map. It's served me for a long time and I'm getting rid of it. Ah, served me. Scratch that. Let me tell you about the map. I think you'll see what I'm getting at. <clears throat> so this map has a picture of the couch in my home where my husband and I talk, often talk about current events as something interesting and often lamentable and then go to bed and then go about business as usual the next day and don't do anything about it. This path here is very well-worn. This is my TV, where I watch world events and feel sad. <laughs> but I also assume that war, unrest, 
unethical legislation and climate change weather catastrophes will not actually affect my life because that kind of thing doesn't happen to me. This is the kitchen where I have conversations that include the phrase, well, surely they wouldn't actually. <laughs> For example, well, surely they wouldn't actually start a registry of Muslims, right? You get my drift. You've probably uttered a lot of these statements to reassure yourself. And this is my computer, where I read articles about the realities of suffering and injustice, uh, where I don't sign petitions, uh, I don't accept invitations to show up places, and my only real activity afterwards is just sitting there feeling guilty, but I expend a lot of energy feeling guilty. <laughs> So I am so ready to ditch this map. This map invites me to navigate the world by hiding in my privilege. It counts on the good intentions of people with enormous wealth and power. It assumes that certain things simply couldn't happen in America. So it is time to admit that I am lost. And when you admit that you are lost, when you throw away the map, after you get past the terror of the loss of control or the illusion of control, you may just discover that this is where hope lives. There is hope living in an unwritten future. In fact, that is its primary dwelling place. And so the way ahead, what do we do without our map? Well, there is no map that you could order from amazon.com that would show you the way forward. The way ahead is not a linear, pre-established, flat map. The way ahead is a way of being, of showing up in our lives and in relationship. And it begins with building relationship from a place of humility, curiosity, and respect. In the words of my colleague, the Reverend Michael Tino, those of us feeling the uncertainty as something new have an opportunity now to engage in real relationship building with those who have felt it all along. It is our spiritual work right now to take this feeling of deep insecurity, this fear, and to not numb it out, but to feel it and to let it connect us in a heart place with people who have felt it all along. And this is where solidarity is born. This is how relationships begin, and this is where beloved community takes root. And if we can't let our discomfort and our outrage teach us and stretch our hearts wide open, if we can't get ourselves grounded in humility and respect for the suffering, strength, and wisdom of our fellow humans, then we cannot know how to love our neighbor. 
and we will be lost before we even get started. And as we build these connections, we remember that we are connected to our religious tribe going way back in time, connecting us back to the past and into the unwritten future. Unitarian Universalists are a people planted in the soil of ancient scriptures that instruct us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, with that creative source of all life, love, and goodness. Our forebears followed the moral example of a certain Middle Eastern teacher named Jesus, who railed against empire, who condemned the hypocrisy and greed of the most powerful, who loved and advocated for those most in the margins. And this church comes from a long tradition of universalism that teaches us that we are all one, we're inextricably connected, our fates are all bound together, and that it is love that's going to save us in this life. And we come from the modern tradition of Unitarian Universalism, grounded in the interconnection of all existence, the inherent worth and dignity of human beings, justice, equity, compassion, and the importance of the democratic process itself. Democracy is in our DNA. It's how we do church. And we are made for this moment. We have been preparing for millennia. And so our task now is simple, but somehow it can be so hard. The task is to show up, build relationships that trace the interconnectivity that is already there, and to love the hell out of this world. And we can't do this in isolation. So we've got to throw away our old maps, throw away the self-reliance myths, and build new connections with neighbors, with organizing groups in our cities, with organizing groups in this church, with those who have been fighting and organizing for their lives for years. We need to build relationships with people with whom we do not agree. And that starts by sharing our stories with each other and listening so that our hearts might soften in such a way that, in the words of the poet, they could become like half-open flowers and words like golden bees could drift in. And I do have a couple of very concrete suggestions about how you might build these connections. Justin spoke about this earlier. Please consider joining a circle here at church. The registration is open through Tuesday. This can be your spiritual growth and accountability group, a group of 10 people with a facilitator working on growing their souls. And if this just feels like too much of a commitment or too intimate, then come this Friday to our Good Time for the Truth conversation. We've invited four amazing, 
three amazing authors of color to come and share about their personal experience as people of color living in Minnesota. Come, be with us. Open your heart. Let those words drop in like golden bees. In the words of Marge Piercy this morning, it goes one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again after they say no. It starts when you say we and you know who you mean and each day you mean one more. May the sacred expansion of we continue until we know in our bones that we really mean everyone. And may we never stop until all of us are free. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>